Uh, yesterday we had a uh, Veterans Day celebration at 8 o'clock, and uh, uh, while that was going on, I came over here, and uh, we had uh, our orchestra and our choir, uh, they were preparing for Christmas at first, and boy, they have a great time. Uh, it, was, it was exciting to see so many people in our church here on a Saturday morning uh, celebrating but also preparing uh, for an act of worship. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to uh, go ahead and, and uh, right now uh, get those little cards that you find in the Grand Lobby uh, about Christmas at first and just invite some of your friends and neighbors uh, to come uh, to that wonderful time of celebration and worship of the Lord. So you be sure and do that. Uh, it is a, a privilege for us to be here today, and, and we understand that it is a privilege. This isn't something that, um, that uh, everyone has uh, uh, the opportunity to do. Not everyone has the opportunity to gather together uh, in a place like this and worship. But we do, and, and we're thankful for that. And uh, there are many things about which I am extremely thankful and being part of this church family is one of them. I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for being part of, uh, uh, of, of a family of faith that uh, demonstrates um, faithfulness to God's vision and mission and purpose. And that's who you are. Uh, not just today, but in days past, um, we're a church that makes challenges look like opportunities for God's glory. And, uh, and so I'm excited about what God has done, excited about what God is doing through our church. Uh, here at the Kempsville location, I'm excited about what God is doing. Uh, it, it's hard to see that sometimes. Uh, this construction has affected us. There's no doubt about that. And we would not be telling truth if we didn't say it has affected us. Um, we believe that uh, during this season, one of the ways for us to overcome the challenges of the, of the construction is uh, to go to another location uh, simultaneous to being here, uh, Volvo location that uh, our launch date will be January 14th. We're having a Campus Catalyst meeting uh, next Sunday. I encourage you to be a part of that. We're going to talk about uh, uh, the, the furniture and fixtures and equipment, and we're going uh, to have a, a a vote about, uh, uh, about the Volvo budget, and uh, so I want to encourage you to be here. It's exciting days, but it's also uh, anytime you stand on the edge, the precipice of stepping forward into what God wants you to do, it can be a scary thing sometimes. It's the best place to be, but it's a little frightening. So I want to encourage you to be here, uh, and uh, as we look to our future, we must also celebrate and be thankful for our past. Um, we're not a Johnny-come-lately church. We're a church that has 200 years of rich history. Um, and I'm thankful for that rich history. Um, and I'm thankful for you. So uh, encourage you to begin that season of gratitude early, even today. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, gratitude, beginning this sermon series called Gratitude. And, and if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, this is our passage today. It's a, a, a song of thanksgiving from a young woman named Hannah. Uh, and it's important for us to, to lean into this psalm and to, to press into the truth that Hannah teaches us today. It's exciting to hear uh, the deep theology 
of this woman and really the deep truths of God unleashed upon us today by this song of gratitude. It's important for us because we live in the tension of the today. We live in the tension of the today where the struggles of what we, the struggles and conflict happen between what we believe and what we see. Now, what we believe and what we see don't always match. Do you realize that? I mean, uh, as, I, uh, as I look at First Norfolk, even here at the Kempsville location, what I, see, what I believe is that God has greater days ahead of us, that we have the opportunity for, for even greater days than any we've ever experienced before here at the Kempsville location. I believe that to be true. I believe it with all my heart, but when you look out the door, you see something different. You see, challenge. But that's the tension of the today. The tension of the today is where you believe that God is able and that God is faithful and that God is true. And all of us would say that, but but sometimes we don't see that. We live in the tension of the today. We, we, We are here this morning perhaps with the pains of disappointment or the fears of obstacles in our path. That's the tension of today. But in the face of this tension, in the face of of today's struggles, we, we also come here by an act of faith to celebrate with gratitude what God is doing for us, for those who love him and who walk with him through Jesus. We come here today to, uh, to express our gratitude to God because that's what worship is. But we... We don't always see it with our eyes, but we believe it. Or so we sing, and so we say, but do we live what we believe? Or do we just live what we see? Hannah lived in the tension of today as well. She wanted a child, but a child wasn't coming. Yet God was ready to act on Hannah's behalf, and he provides for her with victorious power. He provides a son named Samuel. He provides in a miraculous and a glorious way. He provides with unique and personal application to Hannah's life. And as we read the story of Hannah, we begin to hear God speaking to us today. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My, my, my horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. For there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Take no, talk no more. So very proudly, let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Let's stop right there. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that last phrase, but I do want us all to hear it because it's important. It's, it's important for me to hear it for my life. It's important for you to hear it for your life. God weighs our actions. He knows them, too. There's nothing that you're doing. There's nothing that I'm doing that's hidden from his sight. He understands. He knows perfectly. 
The good thing about God is that he not only judges our actions, but he also weighs our hearts. Today, he knows your heart just like he sees your actions. He knows my heart just like he sees my actions, and he evaluates them. Make no mistake, we can't fool God. And he evaluates and he judges us, even as followers of Christ. He evaluates and he judges us. That's a sermon for another day, aren't you glad? Look down in verse 4. The bowels of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those who are hungry have ceased to be, ceased to be hungry. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills, and the Lord makes alive. The Lord brings down in the, uh, to the grave, and the Lord brings up from the grave. The Lord makes poor, and the Lord makes rich. He brings low, he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth belong to the Lord, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints. Stop right there in verse 9, where it says in New King James Version, he will guard the feet of his saints, that term for saints. In the Hebrew, uh, it's not saint the way we understand it. It's not someone who has been made holy or or who has been sanctified. Uh, Literally, the Hebrew language means someone who faithfully and earnestly seeks after the Lord, someone who is obedient to the Lord, someone who belongs to God and lives like it. That's saints there. It goes on, uh, he will guard the feet of, the, of his saints, but the wicked, uh, uh, the wicked shall be uh, silent in darkness. For by strength, no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. As we look at this passage and as we look at this song, as we hear Hannah teach us today, as we live in the tension of the today and, and see our struggle between what we believe and what we see, what, 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 what God is doing that we see and what God is doing that we don't see, when we live in that tension, what is it that, that Hannah is singing? What is it that she's uh, rejoicing in? What is her gratitude? Her gratitude is that God powerfully provides for those who earnestly seek him. And guys, I I want you to get the, the full flavor of this truth. This is an eternal absolute that God powerfully provides for those who earnestly seek him. Now, It does not mean that we get everything we want. That's not what provision is. My children have asked me for a lot of things in their lifetime, and I haven't given them everything they wanted. But I think I provided well for them. Provision is not always giving what somebody asks what they want. Provision 
is giving them what is best and what they need. And God does it in a powerful way. God does it in a way that fits the story of his redemptive plan in Scripture and in time and eternity. God gloriously provides, and we begin to hear the notes of that provision, the, the lyrics of that, that, that song of gratitude from the heart of Hannah. We begin to hear the deep theology and, and truths of God unveiled by this woman who uh, was bowing at a temple uh, and, and asked God for a miracle and God provided. Hannah, her song of thanksgiving celebrates this great provision that God has made. She celebrates the victory and the triumph of God in his sovereign purpose. And as we listen to her sing, we can hear not only the victory that she has experienced, but we hear the powerful praise of the God who moves in time and eternity to provide for those who love him. See, we're here today as followers of Jesus, and, and we can celebrate God's glorious provision. Now, look, I'm not a name it, claim it guy, and, and, and I, that, I'm just trying to identify myself here. I'm not casting aspersion or judgment. I'm just telling you who I'm not. I'm not a name it, claim it guy. I don't think that you can, can tell God, I claim it in the name of Jesus, and you're going to get it. I don't think if you pray for a Cadillac, you're going to get it. I don't even think if you pray for a Volkswagen Rabbit, you're going to get it. I, I don't think that me asking God for what I want is the answer to getting what I want. I don't believe that we can manipulate God through the machinations of our own prayer life. I believe that God is sovereign and he's sovereignly purposeful and God does as his good pleasure desires and we are the beneficiaries of that. But at the same time, scripture is clear that God does miraculously, powerfully, victoriously provide for those who are earnest about him, who love him supremely. So today, let's not back off this great promise just because we don't want to be identified as name it, claim it people. Well, let's not back off the, the great truth that Hannah sings about and that we need our souls to be immersed in that God gloriously provides for those who earnestly seek him. But it all begins with, with this idea that our greatest joy is not what we get. Our greatest joy is God himself. Yeah. See, here's the difference. See, see for, for many, the idea is if you're faithful to God, you're going to get prosperous. Well, no, that's not really what Scripture teaches. Scripture doesn't really teach that you're going to make a bunch of money because you're a follower of Jesus. History teaches us that if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, sometimes you get killed. History teaches us, and the Bible affirms that sometimes as a follower of Jesus, you lose your job. You don't get one step up the ladder. You get fired. So, so we need to understand there's a balance there, but that's what this song addresses. See, what this song addresses is that even with that bad misfortune hitting your soul and your heart, you can trust that God will powerfully provide in the midst of that misery, in the midst of that difficulty. And, and the reason is because God is the source of all of our joy. Not what we've got, not what we do, not what people say about us. It's God himself that produces the joy, and that's what gives us gratitude in our hearts toward him. Many rejoice in the games that were played yesterday. 
You, know, you have a team, your favorite team. You rejoice. You have joy because your team won. Can you imagine the misery I would have if my joy were wrapped up in how the University of Tennessee volunteers did this season? Guys, they got hillbilly whopped by Missouri yesterday. I mean, it was like 50 to 7 or something like that. It's terrible. Can you imagine if my joy was wrapped up in the football team winning? But can I just say, thank God, he's given me the Dallas Cowboys, right? Amen. Amen. Give me a little shout. I don't mean to start a fight. Well, maybe. Have we beaten the Redskins this season? I'm just asking. I, I, I don't remember. I, I can't recall. Thank you for the reminder. I appreciate that. Man, what a great season it is. All right, there we go. One more to go. Okay. I won't make any wagers this time because I don't think that's very Baptist, but I predict a win. Anyway, as some, uh, for some of us, for many of us, uh, we, we rejoice in games that were played. Uh, many rejoice in serendipitous moments that, that, that come perhaps even unexpectedly. Many rejoice in the pleasures that are realized, that, that come to pass in their life. But we as followers of Christ, we have a deeper foundation for our joy. That is a joy that, that, that survives the, the, the games lost. The, a joy that, that survives the serendipitous circumstances not happening in our lifetime. It, it's, it's a joy that, that even thrives when, when pleasures are not realized in our life. We have joy that comes from a person who has loved us so much that he gave us his best. He gave us his son. He sent Jesus to die in the place of sin for us so that we might have life through faith in him. Guys, the reason we as followers of Christ celebrate today with a heart of gratitude is because I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven because I'm not far from God. I've been brought near by the blood of the lamb. Today, I have Jesus. I know God. God, that's my joy. What about you? For Hannah, for Hannah, we hear, we hear something happening in her heart. On the day of, of Samuel's dedication, she, she rings out in verse 1, and she says, my, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile. Get this. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Hannah had a joy bubbling up in her soul that was expressed in a grateful heart to the living God. She was immersed in joy. Her, heart, her entire being was filled with joyful praise. Her heart, her strength, her mouth joined together in overwhelming praise of rejoicing to the God who has provided for her. Her horn had been exalted, which is a picture of God's power at work in her life to bring about his glory and her good. She smiles with joy because God in his great victorious sweep of grace has shattered and crushed all of her enemies. Today, we have her kind of joy. If you are a follower of Christ, you too are, must be, have to be immersed in joy. Each day, uh, the, uh, our entire being must be filled with joyful praise. With all our heart, strength, and mouth, we must celebrate with overwhelming joy God's provision in our lives. God has worked with power 
to give us victory over our greatest enemy, sin itself. Our, our gratitude flows from living in the grip of God's grace rather than the grip of our own gripe. We have problems, but our problems are not our problem. God in his great grace has overwhelmed our problems already through Jesus Christ. Today, we have joy, not based upon what we do, not based upon what others think, not based upon what others say, not based upon our goodness or our badness. We have joy wrapped up in Jesus Christ who has brought us into the friendship with God. Today, do you have that joy? I, I, I get a little bit, I get a little bit excited about this because I know if joy depended upon my successes rather than my failures, I would be a miserable soul. See, I I I I, I love this because I know that if, if my joy depended upon my 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 perfection, I would be a miserable soul. I love this because I, I, I know that if, if joy depended upon my circumstances, I would be on a roller coaster of high, low, high, low, high, low. Because that's the way circumstances go. Listen, my joy is built on Jesus who has brought me to God. I am no longer separated from God by my sin as I once was. I'm no longer at enmity with God because of my sin as I once was. I'm no longer uh, far from God as I once was. But today, I am a friend of God. Today, I belong to the family of God. Today, I who once was far off, I have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I live in immediate intimacy with the living God, his spirit alive in me, pouring in me, flowing through me, that I might live in praise and rejoicing. Today, today, I have some joy. How about you? This is the way it's supposed to work. Now, you're not going to pitch a fit like I do, necessarily. But I pitch a fit when I get excited. How about you? I wish I could have seen some of y'all watching your football teams yesterday. Pitch a fit of joy or pitch a fit of misery. You Virginia Tech fans, sorry. But the good news is you're not a Tennessee fan. And we live in a day where... So much of our joy is dependent upon how little crazy it gets in our world. And I'm here to tell you, I can survive all the crazy because I got Jesus. And I've got joy. Hannah said, my, 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 my heart rejoices, my soul rejoices in the Lord. Does yours? God gloriously provides. So each day must be a journey of gratitude to God for his glorious provision. His provision of victory. I, I look, I smile at my enemies because of your salvation. Do you get that? I know there are big bag boogeymen that we face every day. But because of God's great grace through Jesus Christ, I can grin and say the victory belongs to me. That's what God does. 
God provides gloriously for us. But sometimes we don't see it. Here's the tension of the today. That's the promise. Uh, Our greatest joy comes from God. He's given us the victory. We say, yes, yes, yes. But then the tension of the today comes. And the difficulties arise and the pain follows. And we don't feel gratitude. Why? Well, because we need to get our attitude right. We need, we need to set our focus straight. We, we, need to, we need to have an attitude adjustment. See, what happens to us, and, and let me just speak for me for a second. Uh, I, I get captured in the grumbling and the mumbling of my own pride. I get captured in thinking that, hey, listen, God, if you'll just take a note or two from me, I will let you know how that you're supposed to direct my steps and control my circumstances so I have the best life possible. Here's part of the problem that we have. We, 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 we have so much me-ism that we forget that God is the center of the universe, not me. That he's the one who is sovereign in control, not me. That his good pleasure is for my good, whether I like it or not. As a parent, did you ever tell your kids, hey, listen, just do it because I said so? And the reason, that's shorthand for, I want you to obey me. I've got a grand reason for you to obey me, but I don't have time to spell it out. And even if I did spell it out, you wouldn't get it. Now, I know as a child that that bugged me, but as a parent, it kind of delighted me. I kind of just do it because I said so. And it's not always an easy thing to submit to an I said so if you don't understand everything. But when you as a child humble yourself before God, you understand that he is God. You're not. He knows. You don't. So, hey, the best course of action, instead of me in pride trying to tell God how he's supposed to do his business, I better start determining that my business is to do his business. So Hannah looks and she says, Hey, listen, verses 2 and 3. She says, no one is holy like the Lord. He's he's awesome. No one is holy like him. There's no one like God. There there is none besides you, nor, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. See, when we're tempted to mumble about the misfortunes that befall us, we must listen to Hannah's call for humility. She tells us, she warns us in in verse 3, she says, uh, to speak no longer with so much pride and arrogance. And literally, uh, when she says, don't don't, uh, talk talk no longer so very proudly, that phrase, so very proudly, literally is two Hebrew words, identical words, combined, stacked on top of each other. She was saying, don't stack your pride upon pride and stop being so arrogant. She she was saying, hey, listen, uh, we need to have an attitude of our heart that that seeks not to inform God about how he's supposed to handle his business, but we're supposed to have a heart that submits ourselves to God's business. She's, She's calling out in me and in you and in us. She's calling out this lack of humility and faith. That, that grumbles at God for what he's not doing that we believe he should be doing. Have you ever been there? Now, you might not say it out loud, and you probably won't give this an amen, but I, I would have to guess that many of us, if not all of us, 
certainly most of us, have taken our time to inform God of how he's supposed to be doing his job and we don't like how he's doing it because it's traveling me through the path of pain or the, the areas of discomfort or the wilderness of my own wandering. We don't like it. So we tell God, don't you love me anymore? Won't you take care of me anymore? God, where are you? Why are you absent? God, get your act together. Come on. And we tell God that. And we think that that's the way we're going to get better. Guys, that's not the way to get better. That's the way to get bitter. When you start telling God how he's supposed to do it, try to take things in your own hand, being filled with that cancerous pride in your own soul, you're taking the staff and you're hitting the rock like Moses did and bringing out the bitter waters of Meribah. Today, we need to understand that the best way for us to live is in awe of the living God. There is no one like the Lord. There is no rock like him. There is no one holy like him. He is the one who has true and perfect knowledge of all things, including my heart. And he is the one who weighs my actions. I'm going to submit to him. And see, that's the attitude adjustment. See, and I still have to have this work in my life. Because that disease of pride runs deep in my blood. That, that DNA of pride it, 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 it still is alive and active in me, in you and me. And what kills us, what kills our joy, what, what kills our gratitude is when our focus is on me rather than on the God of glory who loves me and has provided for me and determines to take care of me. He is the rock. That is a picture in the Old Testament, a picture of Jesus in the New Testament, of the one who is our protection. He is our strength. He is our deliverer. That's who the rock is, not the wrestler. And so when we submit ourselves to him and, and acknowledge, hey, he's got knowledge. He's got, I'm getting, I'm getting off, I'm getting off the, I'm getting off the platform. He's got knowledge. He's, and, and the picture, that he is the God of knowledge. That, the language of the Hebrew is, is talking about he is the God who has true knowledge. He, he doesn't have a partial picture of your life. He has the whole eternal scope laid out. He doesn't have a partial picture of your circumstances. He doesn't see just the tension of the today. He sees the glorious purpose that he is fulfilling for you and in you and for his glory in the whole eternal scope. And he understands perfectly how your story fits into his redemptive story. And he wants you to be a part. And he wants you to experience the joy of that. But you got to get under his thumb. you got to get in line. You need to receive the bit and the harness of the living God and let him direct your steps. Because that is the only way that you and I are going to have a heart filled with joy and a life that pulses with gratitude. We need to set our focus right. Stop, stop talking, grumbling and mumbling about how you don't get what you want. And start celebrating what God has already given in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, what a lesson for me today. What a truth for me to embrace. Me, I'm not talking to you now, I'm talking to me. I need it. You want a heart that's filled with gratitude? 
Got to get your focus straight. And when, when we understand and embrace that our joy, our true source of joy comes from God, and when we, when we set our focus right, then we can receive the promise that God makes in this passage through the, through the song of Hannah. And that is that God turns things around for those who earnestly seek him. Guys, don't miss this. I, I, know, I know your pit in which you're living may be deep. But my soul, this is the God who raises the dead. And he makes a promise to turn things around. It's the reversal of fortunes that becomes a paradigm for much of the theology, not only for the children of Israel, but the theology of Jesus who has invaded heaven and earth with his humanity to make things right. This is a promise. I, I don't have time to, to, to lay out all of it, but I, I do want you to look. Just begin in verse 4, and let, let's just, let's just kind of look at it for a second. Verse 4, uh, Hannah sings, The bows of mighty men are broken. Those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full are, have hired themselves out for bread. But the hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but he, she who had many children has become weak and feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up from the grave. He makes poor, he makes rich. He lifts up, and he brings low and he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among the princes. What, what is all that about? These, these polarities between, uh, p- between what God is doing. It's, it's, it's that, that God is in the business of reversing the fortunes of those who are faithful to him, those who are his people. He is in the business of bringing victory out of defeat. He is in the business of shining light out of darkness. He is in the business of providing life in the face of death. God reverses fortune according to his good pleasure, but it's also for our good. This is the sovereign work of God under the care of, the, of, of our great God, under the care of our great God as we set our focus on him and submit our hearts to him and stop living in pride. Under the care of our great God, the weak become strong, the hungry become satisfied, the unfruitful become fruitful, the beggar becomes a prince, and the dead come to life. Under the care of, the great, of our great God, all the enemies of God and his people are uh, are obliterated, shattered, and crushed under the care of our great God. The steps of those faithful to him are tenderly and meticulously guarded by him. God exercises great care over those who earnestly seek him. The, the, the picture of verse 9 is, is that God sets guard over the steps of his saints. And, and, and literally, literally, the picture is that God he, he takes great care to direct those steps, to protect those steps. 
Do you realize that God is committed to your everyday life? Not the big scope, but the individual moments. God is personally applying his power and his provision to your everyday life, to your emotions, to your situation, to your struggles, to your pain, to your sorrow, to your grief. But you, you got to look to him. you got to trust him. you got to cry out to him. you got to find life in him. you got to trust joy in him. It's, he's the one that makes the reversal happen. Not you, not me. He is the one that makes the reversal happen. And when we give ourselves to his glorious care, he provides gloriously for us. Today, sing Hannah's song of gratitude over God's powerful provision in your life. He is at work knowing you and caring for you and bringing victory toward you. He has given us the greatest provision already. He's given us his best. He's given us his son. He, God has moved us from hungry to satisfied, from beggar to prince, from dead to life through Jesus. That's what he's provided. So the question is, will you be grateful? Will you live in the gratitude I know some of you are, uh, I mean, it's easy to be cynical and pessimistic in today's culture. My goodness, the speed with which we get bad news is at an all-time high. And it's so easy to get in the grip of the gripes. That's the easiest thing in the world. But as a follower of Jesus Christ already been purchased by the blood of Christ, already brought into the family of God, already brought near by the blood of Christ. Here today, we should celebrate. And every day, we should celebrate the great mercy and the grace and the provision of victory and salvation and life that Jesus has given us. I know it's easy to get in the grip of, the grip of gripes. But if you want gratitude to shape your life, you need to get in the grip of God's grace. And you need to stay there. So as we close today, I just want to invite you to a couple of things. And, and, and the first thing is this. And, and it, it, I wouldn't be a preacher worth his salt if I didn't do what I'm about to do. One of the things about gratitude is that gratitude gives. I mean, gratitude gives. Now, yeah, I want you to think of Hannah. We love to talk about Hannah. We love to talk about how God provided a son, and, and we celebrate that, and that's exciting and it's awesome. But do you realize what Hannah did? She, she, her greatest desire in her own life was to have a son, but she committed that son to service to God. She gave her son. The day of his dedication, she brought him to the priest, to Eli, and said, now he belongs to God. No longer to live in her home. That's what gratitude does. Gratitude gives. I think one of the reasons why so many of us are miserly in our giving to the Lord, it's because we need to get an attitude adjustment. We need to have a heart of gratitude. Not entitlement. Not I deserve this or this is something that belongs to me. Well, we need a heart of gratitude. And gratitude gives. I want to ask you today, are you giving the way gratitude demands? Are you giving to the Lord through the church the way gratitude demands? And let me say again, God knows the hearts and he weighs the actions. 
So it really, it's not me to answer that question for you. It's me to answer that question for me. But maybe today before you leave, you need to drop something in the offering boxes and give out of a sense of gratitude. The second thing I'd say is, and that kind of application is, hey, listen, don't let a moment of your day pass that you aren't setting your focus on Jesus. I know days can be busy, and I know days can be hard. I get it. You get it. We all understand. You know that I, there are sometimes those, those events that happen in life that knock my breath out. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm just pummeled by it, and I don't know what to do. But, but the minute I catch my breath, I need to set my gaze on Jesus and focus in on him, lean into him. I need to set my gaze upon the author and finisher of my faith. I need to set my, things on thing, set my mind on things above, not the things of this earth. I need to understand that Jesus is my life and he is my purpose and he is my joy. And I'm going to live victoriously today, not because of what I do, but because of what he's already done. I need to set my focus on Jesus. Today, will you set your focus on Jesus? Stop thinking about all the things that, that got you wrapped around the axle and just give them to Jesus. Look to him. Set your focus on him. Some of you are here today and you're not able to set your focus on Jesus because you don't know him. You've never met him. You may be a religious person. You may be a moral person, but that's not really what I'm talking about and that's not what the Scripture teaches. God who is holy, perfectly holy, must punish our sinfulness. And the punishment for our sin, according to Scripture, is death. It's eternal separation from God. But God loves us with an everlasting love. And he sent Jesus on mission. Jesus, who is and always has been God, Jesus came to this earth, shrunk his deity in the skin of a little baby in Bethlehem. He lived his life perfectly without blemish or fault so that he might go on a mission of death. He gave his life on a cross to pay the price and to receive upon himself the punishment for my sin. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the get dead to give me a chance at new life. And you're here today, and all of that you've heard before, but it's never sunk into your soul. And today, you're ready to repent and place your faith in Jesus, to bow before him as king and as savior, to receive his death on the cross as payment once and for all for your sin and his resurrection as new life for you. If that's who you are in a moment when we stand to worship the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come to one of the pastors up at the front. And you just tell us, I choose Jesus today, and we'll help you on that journey. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God in heaven, as you have spoken to the hearts of your people, I pray that you would call us to respond in obedience to you. Lead us to be faithful in this moment. Father, for some, that means that you're drawing them to yourself. You're giving them the faith and the courage they need in this moment to, to choose you as Savior and King. And I pray that you, by your grace, would draw them to yourself. Give them the courage to step out into the aisle and come down to one of the pastors at the front. And just tell us that they're choosing Jesus. 
Others are here today, and Lord, you are drawing them to a new attitude, a new focus, that that you want to diminish the disease of pride in their heart and and the mumbling and the grumbling on their mouth and, and, and renew in their soul a sense of your purpose and your joyfulness and gratitude. So God, I pray that you would draw us to this altar as we lift up our praise to you and And there are some here who need to cry out for your provision in specific ways, understanding that you're ready to apply personally and powerfully your provision to the needs of those who earnestly seek you. So God, help for us to earnestly seek you in these next few moments. Now be glorified as we seek to worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.